Side note number one. The New World Order. Actually, as of today, March 1709, a number of months after the initial pinning of this section, new information spurred by Jack and Roxella Van Imp, on their Jack Van Imp Presents TV program, shows that this idea of a new world order is anything but dead in America's upper echelon political circles, don't typically put a lot of faith in their ministry nowadays, but, like all charlatans, they do manage to get some things right, once in a while. Consider also a Hal Lindsey report aired later in April of 2009. Lindsey's report affirms the existence and determination among the world's richest including Rockefeller, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey to play God in the establishment of population control measures designed to facilitate a new world order. By implementation of said control measures, these people would effectively decide who lives and who must die. In short, they would instigate, authorize and supervise the systematic, otherwise indiscriminate killing of a substantial portion of the global population, no doubt by the various means cited in Chapter 6 of this revelation. This killing would make room for those deemed worthy of living i.e., a kind of survival of the fittest, via systemic and methodical, however diabolical, slaughter of those less fortunate. Other online articles and credible documentation affirm this to be so. In the online version of their show, the Van Imps refer to a 2008 PBS broadcast hosted by Charlie Rose, in which Henry Kissinger is quoted stating that, there is a need for a new world order. Mr. Kissinger was a highly visible politician, active as Secretary of State during the Nixon, Carter and Ford administrations. They went on to cite a quotation in which he, Kissinger, asserts that President Barack Obama is primed to create this new world order, that is, President Obama knows and is apparently at peace with the notion that he has been chosen for such a time as this. Roxella and Mr. Van Imp went on to highlight quotations from Barack Obama's speech delivered in Germany, which seemed to suggest his vision of this new world order, and his complicity with the idea of political as well as economic globalization, even if it undermines American individuality and sovereignty. Dot. I am a fellow citizen of the world. In this new world, we'll have a global citizenship. We need a globalized world. We must come together to save the planet. Video footage of an interview with Mr. Kissinger confirms the Van Imp claims. At Truvio.com, a video clip records the former Secretary of State saying that, his task, President Obama's, will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world can be created. It's a great opportunity, he concluded. $64,000 question, why America? Why not chart a new course for the rest of the world, since they, corporately or individually, cannot seem to get their act together, so as to bring themselves up socially, economically or politically, to a level commensurate with that of America? Just what precisely does Mr. Kissinger have in mind here? How does President Obama interpret his language? Mr. Kissinger's new world is not one to be crafted around ideals and principles that contribute to or that allow for the creation of an America-like world. Rather, Barack Obama, in Kissinger's ideology, is tasked with the responsibility of overseeing development of an overall strategy for America. That eliminates her from the New World equation altogether recognizing that no one in his right mind is likely to believe that a democratic, free-wheeling, free-thinking people, the most powerful ever, in the history of all of civilization, 
numbering presently only 5% of a global population of 7 billion, plus, is likely to roll over and simply die to its independence, or, stay down willingly, should she somehow succumb to the Obama-Kissinger vision and interpretation of globalization. Remember, 95% of the world currently, and, 100% of the world before the Declaration of Independence, has never known a true democracy, American style. That is, or at least that appears to be, the world into which our president, performer Secretary of State Kissinger, is to lead the way a totalitarian global society swept clean and free of the germ of democratic free thinkers, on an individual or state level, see Gateway to Hell, page 45 to 61, to gain a better perspective in terms of why. On an even less positive note, which could help to explain the future and fate of the United States of America, journalist? Eric Wahlberg quotes, The Independent, 01, 2009, which cites Mr. Kissinger gloating over what he sees as a unique opportunity for creative diplomacy. The Wahlberg article was titled, Henry Kissinger's Choice to the World, New World Order or Chaos. Such reasoning, Mr. Kissinger admits, will strike a major blow to the standing of the United States, as each nation is encouraged to seek to make itself independent, to the greatest possible degree, of the conditions that produced the collapse. The collapse, of course, being this present housing and banking mess, on account of which all fingers point accusatorily at the United States. The Kissinger solution, Mr. Wahlberg continues, is actually a call for a common action amongst the nations, resulting in a political new world order that would be similar to the present international economic one. In spirit and in cooperation, the extraordinary impact of President-elect Obama on the imagination of humanity is an important element in the shaping of this new world order, Mr. Kissinger is said to have enthused. Failure to so indulge is to invite chaos. Mr. Wahlberg cites as the Kissinger definition for chaos, the democratic awakening of the people, i.e., the cultivation of a yearning among the people of the world to think and to govern themselves, American style. He further concedes that free-spiriting nations, who meet in global organizations such as the WEF and the G20, are to be seriously frowned upon. It seems reasonable to assert then, based on the foregoing, that clearly no one wants to see another republic, after the order of the United States. Thus, we conclude that the collapse and destruction of Babylon the Great will be the inroad to this new world order, see Chap. 6. Babylon the Great must fall before the apocalypse can transpire. Sidebar number 2. Vulnerability. As of January 22, 2008, and since Katrina and the Gulf Coast devastation, not one day goes by without dropping hints relative to just how vulnerable global markets and international economies are, how susceptible they are to any negative activity, being joined together at the hip, as it were, to the most prominent of them all. Someone has said that the search for cheap labor, cheap sex, and cheap crude has created a class of deep pockets throughout Asia, etc., all of which are being courted by international banking concerns, especially American, trying to reposition themselves and shore up huge losses they have sustained, self-inflicted through bad investments, having been left troubled and reeling due to the sudden downturn in the American construction industry, which is said to have been heavily invested in by foreign governments, including China and Russia. As of today, March 1808, while some have collapsed and or have been forced to sell ridiculously cheap, 
others are dangerously close to the brink of collapse. Sidebar number three. Uncle Sam's Poppy Farms. By its involvement in Afghanistan, the U.S. controls the world's chief and foremost supplier of illegally traded opium. Afghan farmers in Helmand province maintain and manage the largest poppy farms in the world. Before the U.S. drove them out, the Taliban, some say, had shut down opium production, altogether whatever their evils and atrocities, otherwise. Sidebar number 4. Fault lines of collapse. Witness again the antics of the CEOs of failed, top corporations, who sought and got welfare checks at taxpayer expense, then paid themselves, shamelessly and without flinching, $18 billion in bonuses, sought to buy $50 million corporate jets and otherwise maintain the high, lavish lifestyle to which they have grown accustomed, while investors and taxpayers languish in uncertainty. Consider the foolish government officials who took part in the behind-the-scenes regulations that allowed for the rise of these robber barons, gave them taxpayer money, then failed to anticipate that some sort of clearly defined oversight might be necessary to ensure how they spent it. The fools are spending it on themselves, and word is, there is no way the government can get it back. As of January 31, 09, apparently, not one job has been created, out of all the money they have been given. With this kind of oversight and fiscal mismanagement at every level of government and industry, the fault lines have been firmly lain. The collapse of Babylon the Great is imminent, along precisely those lines, as they have been foretold in this the apocalypse of John the Revelator. At some point, America is bound to find that it can no longer support, nor defend itself. That, doubtlessly, will allow foreign powers, so inclined, to levy a much-desired humbling humiliation, under the cover of a wave of coordinated terror attacks by a network of suicide bombers from sleeper cells already in place, within U.S. borders, supplemented and reinforced by a hemp laydown, finalized by an all-out nuclear attack. The pain and suffering she experiences on her way down will be equal to the extent of her high lifestyle, heretofore in full accord with the biblical mandate. As 9-11 so wonderfully demonstrated for all the world to see, Superior defense systems and all the fancy equipment and fighter aircraft in the world need not be a deterrent, when an enemy otherwise external, yet rides a high-level Trojan horse, as it were, well within our camp, carrying a fully concealed fifth column, behind otherwise tightly guarded gates. See Trojan horse, the enemy who mounts our gates. P 161-171. Sidebar number 5. Drug capital of the world. That is how the U.S. is labeled, as of March 1309, by the government of Mexico. Drug war violence between Mexican drug cartels has not only escalated in recent years, but the choice and lethality of their weapons now demands law enforcement by Mexico's military. It seems that the warring gangs to the south easily overwhelm local police in their border towns' battles for control of the drug routes that service the lucrative trade this side of the border. Making matters worse, it seems our government, the Obama administration, in a well-publicized, undeniable blunder, is hugely responsible for increasing the supply of deadly firearms, inadvertently, perhaps, with which the cartels can make life miserable now, even for the Mexican army. Sidebar number 6. The EU no match for the USA. The 25 or so states of Europe, which form the EU, have a power and presence otherwise unattainable by any of them individually.
That power and presence, however, is short-circuited by verbal infighting and squabbling, which effectively reduces the union to the level mandated by the Bible. They are like an adhesion of iron and clay whatever strength is there, is sapped by their insurmountable differences. Thus, the EU, for all it is worth, will not be able to pick up Babylon slack. Like an economic Humpty Dumpty, her fall, from the top of the wall of global opulence onto the unyielding, super-hard, concrete floors of everlasting financial ruin, will be thorough and irretrievable. None will ever piece her back together. No one will be able to take her place. Sidebar number 7. Great Babylon. Is this not great Babylon, that I have built, to be the seat or the capital of my kingdom, by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty, or, as a testament to and an exhibition of just how majestic I am? Daniel chapter 4 verse 30. Coincidentally, perhaps, this is the same type of arrogant, boastful language employed by white Americans when they gloat about American exceptionalism. As with Pharaoh, God gave himself full credit for the existence and ascension of the pagan king of Babylonia. He even took gentle pains to introduce himself on several occasions by interposing himself into the king's dreams. There, having gotten inside Nebuchadnezzar's head, quite literally, where he could not through the life, the ministry or the example set by the apple of his eye, sound like today's church. God portrayed himself as the one having ultimate authority, and a power far superior to his or, to that of any other monarch, whatever his level of genius and ingenuity. Where the blindness of arrogance, a haughty spirit, and a stubborn predisposition to self-exaltation persisted, the Lord humbled the great king, stripping him of his most cherished aspect, thereby, publicly humiliating him through seven years of some form of psychosis. That is, i.e., the king's insistence upon elevating himself to a status to which he did not belong, was treated as if it were an attack upon the sovereignty of God, which it was, given the history of that region and of Babylon, and no doubt, Nebuchadnezzar's full knowledge of it. To his astonishment, he was met by the true and living God on the offensive, who counterattacked by reducing a king's overrated mind to the level of an animal, locking his psyche in a prison of insanity from which he could not release himself, except by turning the key to acknowledgement professing publicly, that God was ultimately responsible for his greatness, Daniel chapter 4 verse 34, 37, 518, 21. Great Babylon, her Achilles heel. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Isaiah chapter 13 verses 19 to 20, Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 39, 51, 24 to 26. Long before Nebuchadnezzar, too, ascended the throne of his kingdom, 605-561 BC equals 44 years, well in advance of the day he brought her to the height of her glory a day perhaps no one saw coming, when Babylon was just another lovely city rebuilt from ancient ruins by a priestly class known as the Chaldeans God articulated the day of her doom by Isaiah the prophet. Nabopolassar was Nebuchadnezzar's father, and the king who led in the overthrow of Assyrian rule in 626 BC. Years went by and nothing happened, 100 or so. Then God summoned Jeremiah to take up the call. 
Years went by again, and nothing happened until just before the collapse and final deportation into the Babylonian captivity in 587 BC. It appears Daniel and company had been there since before the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule, which would have been around 603 BC, approximately 18 years. Per divine decree, pursuant to an ego that refused to see God beyond the crest of his own nose, the magnificent dream of the mighty Nebuchadnezzar encompassing 196 square miles of well-thought-out citadel. With all of that splendor, with all of that enchantment and, in the bright light of all of its power fell before the God-appointed might of the Medes and Persians. That fateful blow was delivered in 539 BC during the early years of the reign of his grandson, Belshazzar, his father, Nabonidus. Irreparably crippled, the city that had stood tall and proud, seemingly invincible for roughly seventy years, hobbled almost unrecognized for centuries, almost one thousand years, until, according to divine agenda, it was finished off, its walls toppled, in the fourth century AD by Julian the Apostate. Like Jericho, some of the most exquisitely managed prime real estate ever was never to be revived. Like the Titanic, fifty-six miles, some say 14, of impregnable wall, s. There appears to have been several, covering an area 187 feet wide, 200 feet tall extended by towers that stood an additional 100 feet above the ground, crumbled completely and hit rock bottom. Its Achilles' heel, having been breached and exploited, Cyrus, the Persian general, brought great Babylon to her knees, to rise no more. Isaiah chapter 14. Jeremiah 50 and 51. In defiance of God. The message sent to rulers and governments of the world, by way of God's dealings with the Pharaoh and with Nebuchadnezzar, is quite simple and straightforward. Flouting the will of God is dangerous business that could be injurious to one's well-being, or even fatal. So far as anyone seems to know, one of the only historical figures who has shown any real ambition and potential for the resurrection and restoration of ancient Babylon is Alexander the Great. He died relatively young, in Babylon, before his vision could materialize. The late Saddam Hussein of our generation went a step further, in that he was allowed to actually put shoe leather to his initiative. He, too, died under the load of his work in progress. Thus, we might conclude that their defiance, like that of Nebuchadnezzar, was requited early. As with Nimrod, whose name is said to imply that he was a rebel against the idea of submission to the will of Almighty God, their kingdoms fell into disrepute, following their deaths. It should be noted, perhaps, that Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, grandson of Ham, son of Cush said to be the father of all the world's black races, thus himself a black man, was the defiant instigator who led the rebellion at Babel, Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 to 10, 11, 1 to 9, which defied God's decree to scatter and to repopulate the earth. Being a mighty hunter before God, it is said that he was not a hunter of wild game, as much as, he was a warrior and a conqueror who tracked down men, to bring humanity back together, under his authority, and to keep them away from God by means of a system of religion that forms the basis of many others even today, including Roman Catholicism and its offshoots in the Anglican and in the Orthodox churches. He is the actual founder of Babylon, which was destroyed and rebuilt several times before Nebuchadnezzar's day. Thus, Babylon is a city that is, from its very foundation, by its being, 
nature and ideological fabric, symbolic of, and synonymous with, defiance of and rebellion in the face of Almighty God. Moreover, it is therefore not coincidental that God chose this designation to identify the two most prominent characters, shall we say, featured in the book of the Revelation. So then, two chief opponents to the will of God are dead and the city is in complete ruins, as prophesied, to the supreme satisfaction of God, and yet, the spirit of defiance has not died in fact, far from it. U.S. State Department and the Future of Babylon Project One might be inclined to think it highly unlikely, that the EU would ever consider uniting with the U.S. in a joint venture to rebuild ancient Babylon. Their governments are financially burdened to the limits and their banks are in as much turmoil as are those of the U.S. after all, they unionized in the first place so as to compete with the Americans for a slice of the global pie of position, power and prestige. This they did out of envy. Moreover, out of all the investment initiatives afloat, no one seems to be interested in any prospect that ancient Babylon might hold at least, not on the surface, as far as the average eye can see. When the building craze of recent years gobbled up investment dollars from all around the world, much if not most of it planted in U.S. markets, not even scant thought appears to have been levied toward Babylon for obvious reasons. Regional instability being perhaps paramount, also, consider the side note above. And yet, contrary to personal premonition, rumor has it, there is a movement afloat now, in our day, that dares once more to openly defy the plainly stated word and will of God. Not inconceivably, that initiative appears to be if not rooted primarily in, certainly heavily invested in by our own United States government, in league with the World Monuments Fund, based in New York, with affiliates, around the world, together, they work with Iraq's State Board of Antiquities and Heritage, and have contributed at least $700,000, all this per the June 28, 2009 edition of the U.S. military publication, Stars and Stripes. Just as reports have it that the world's biggest company, ExxonMobil, and other oil companies like it, are drooling at the mouth, salivating over the thought of Babylonian oil flows and are gearing up to go back into Iraq. So likewise, a renewal of that anti-God vision, as some are even now proposing, could see Babylon brought back to life as a major tourist destination on a par with the Egyptian pyramids, replete with all sorts of money-making amenities. Some think that, should all of this transpire, Iraq stands a good chance to become the richest country on the planet, this due in part to a drive to shore up relations by patching hurt feelings and mopping up bad blood, owing to damages caused at the ruins by U.S. and coalition troops. U.S. State Department involvement appears to be mainly focused on preservation, at this time, more so than on actual rebuilding of Babylon although one need not rule out that possibility. Saddam Hussein is dead, and, for the time being at least, so is his dream of a rebuilt Babylon. Double jeopardy? If the death of Alexander the Great and the death of Saddam Hussein say anything at all in terms of Bible prophecy, Babylon is most definitely not going to be rebuilt. God will see to that. Thus, as this narrative will establish, ancient Babylon is definitely not Babylon the great of this book of the Revelation.
That being so, what does that say about the future of the United States, given her evident determination to get fiscally involved in a preservation initiative that she without doubt knows is sure to lead to an all-out drive to revive the ancient city of wonder and splendor a city built on foundations conceived primarily for the exaltation of man, in staunch opposition to the sovereignty of God? Are we, here, faced with a clear case of double jeopardy for the only high-profiled, international foot in history that has ever fit the profile laid out for us here by John the Revelator, in Revelation chapter 18? This we know, the United States is a nation in great, great danger, very much so, on a scale that is biblical in proportion per the mind and plan of God do we therefore need to add this act of defiance to our resume. Could this act, in fact be the tipping point, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, leading to the prophesied downfall of the U.S. of A? Sidebar number 8. The handwriting on the wall. In addition, in point of fact, it is interesting that contrary to their 70s blitz mentality, wherein they sought to dominate the American market by dumping or flooding it with their better quality, smaller, more fuel-efficient economy cars Japanese automakers and others today, at December 1908, are making no such power grabs. It appears that, some at least, if not all now realize that the collapse of an economy comprised of only 5% of the world's population, so intricately interwoven with theirs and consuming in the area of 40%, almost half, of everything the world produces, would probably not be in their best interests. Others, of course don't care. At some point, all will agree with this consensus. I.e., Tanking of the American economy would spell the doom and downfall of theirs. So likewise, OPEC oil that, until following the housing, financial debacles, sold for well over $100 a barrel, was quoted recently at around $40 per barrel, no doubt in realization of this same phenomenon. 8,000 toymakers in China have been forced to close shop owing to the American economic downturn. With the announcement recently that, giant home electronics store Circuit City is closing its doors for good, at January 30, 09, cracks in the fault line along the foundation of Babylon the Great keep cropping up. Even if she somehow manages to pull out of this recession should God choose to allow it clearly, the handwriting is and will remain on the walls. Her future is overtly and precariously in the hands of the Almighty. The imprint for Babylon the Great is firmly etched upon the horizon, for the first time in 2,000 years after the unveiling of her conception. The possibility for her reality is no longer a thing that skeptic, scoffer or critic can justly deny. One word from him, one more moment of disgust on his part at the sight of her, and, it is all over. Sidebar number 9. Shiite Islamic Rule Iran sits in the number two slot for worldwide crude reserves. However, left to its own devices, like most of the Eastern Arabic nations, Iran cannot build the infrastructure needed to support the kind of economy and industry necessary to meet and or sustain the level in crude exports international and domestic consumption demands of her. Therein, in exported barrels of crude oil, lies the basis of her wealth. Even more bizarre, Iran is anxious and eager to subdue and rule the world for Allah, by force if need be to bring it under some form of Shiite Islamic rule known as Sharia law. Toward that end, the nation works feverishly as it invests heavily, against international concerns and appeals to the contrary, 
in the refinement and production of weapons-grade uranium with which some fear it will make a bomb, with which it intends to hit the U.S. Big mistake, if it cannot amass a stockpile of around 2,000 warheads, in relatively short order. Those lofty and dangerous ambitions aside, Iran lacks the capacity to refine the petroleum it needs to fuel its own economy, much less the war machine it will need to fight the mother of all wars. Thus, the prospect of ever producing a shoe size large enough to accommodate the foot of the biblical mandate for a Babylon the Great is quite beyond the reach of either Iraq or Iran, or, the combined featherweights of both.